Hello and welcome to Life of the School, episode 127. Hello, my name is Aaron Matthew, and I'm a biology teacher from Massachusetts. On this episode, we are going to be discussing the concept of universal design for learning, or UDL. And to kick off this episode, uh, we're going to start with our goofy question to our panelists. Uh, and the goofy question is, you will only be able to watch episodes of one TV show for the next year. What show do you pick? And joining us from Illinois is Amy Kelly. Welcome, Amy. Hello. I honestly, I love veterinary shows. And so I would normally lean towards like Dr. Pole or something, but there's only so many times you can watch a cow <laughs> being born. So I decided um, I would go more towards like Friends because it is always funny no matter how many times you watch it. It always makes me laugh. Um, I just, I, I think it's timeless too. And, uh, over the summer, one of my good friends, she's obsessed with friends. And so for her 40th birthday, we took her out to the friends experience and got to see all of the props and the, the mock sets and it was pretty fun. So, yeah, I think I would probably go with friends. All right, friends. It's good. It does hit one of the things that I was thinking about is a dilemma with this problem, which is, um, a lot of the shows I love have like like one season or they're like special seasons on like HBO, you know, like, you know, no matter how much you love an episode, you know, a, a show, if they were only on like eight episode seasons for four seasons, like that's just not right. enough to fill a year. So uh, yeah, friends definitely has that, that going. Right. So, all right. And joining us from Minnesota is Mark Peterson. Welcome, Mark. Hey, thanks, Aaron. It's 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 good to be here. So if if I was going to choose a television show, um, I'm going to say Repair Shop. It's a BBC program. I ran across it on Netflix and uh, it people bring in these family treasures and toys and clocks and all you you'd be surprised at the the amount of stuff that people have saved and they bring in and there are these craft mm -hmm. people men and women that uh repair them <laughs> um and it's just it's it's just amazing to watch uh them take things apart or clean them and then put them back together or and sometimes they have to build new pieces there's a guy steve is the clock maker and he just he takes apart watches or these you know, these Swiss made timepieces and then he puts them back together. But I, then that's really cool. But there's also, and I think their names are Amanda and Julie. People bring in like stuffed animals that are family treasures. And I, when they're done rebuilding them and, you know, these are, these are bears <laughs> and dogs that are just worn the fuzzes off of them. And they, 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 but it just it melts your heart. It's, I usually cry yeah. during those episodes. It's just so I'll, they're they're good emotional. It's good problem solving. It's good science and engineering. But there's also a good emotional tearjerker occasionally that 
that just catches you off guard. So yeah. repair shop. That's what I'm yeah, It is for. part of what I refer to as my wife's uh, calming British TV series that she watches. Uh <laughs> So there's there's that, and then there's obviously uh, British Bake Off. It fits into that category, um, and there's one that she does that's like Bake a off. pottery, like it's a British pottery making uh, show that she went like the. There's a pretty good chance that right now upstairs my wife is watching some British people make or fix something <laughs> calmly. Fix something. fix something. Yeah, I, I am familiar with Repair yeah. Shop for that. Right. Uh, so I, I, I said I put. I'm the one who puts these shows together, and you'd think that I would have an answer to this question. Uh, but I like. I got stumped. Like I keep going down like these rabbit holes of like, well, what kind of show would I want? And then, and then as Amy was talking, I was like, oh, that's it. I've got my answer. And then Mark's answers came out, and I was like, oh wait, but what about that? So, uh, <laughs> so, so I think I'm gonna pick. I think I am going to pick The Simpsons. I am going to pick The Simpsons as the show. I'm going to do that. Uh, And I am literally just going to lean on it because of longevity. There are so many episodes. They did it for so long that I will not loop through them too quickly. Um, As you were talking, uh, Mark, I I immediately thought of there's this series, uh, a British series called Taskmasters, um, which you can watch on YouTube. Which is, um, it's basically a British game show where like five celebrities come in and they do these random like stunts and challenges. Like it'll be like these five comedians and they'll ask them, uh, they'll ask them uh, like melt this block of ice. Whoever melts this block of ice fastest wins. Like that's it. And so you've got these comedians who like look at this block of ice and then try to figure out how to melt it or get this object as far away as possible or uh, make a claymation video using this stuff uh, or write a song <laughs> that pleases the taskmaster. And they're just again, they're a group of comedians. Uh, very, Br- It's very British. Um, and it's it's just we like we watch it all the time. But there's only like. You know, there's like eight or nine series, but there's only like seven episodes per series. Like, so, so, so again, there's only like, you know, maybe 50 right. episodes total, you know, 60 episodes total when you put all of them together. Um, you can watch them on YouTube though in their entirety. So, uh, th- that's always fun. But I, but uh, yeah, so if you out. like British comedy, but as I said, I'm picking The Simpsons. I snuck in a second, uh, second pick in there accidentally, but, um, yeah. But I've spent most of my most of my summer watching The Wire and uh, and Luther. Uh, but I think that those would be pretty dark. The Wire would be a, as great a show as it is. It'd be a pretty dark way of spending a year watching TV. Um, <laughs> I, I think that's why I didn't pick CSIs or, uh, you know. Uh, oh, that's 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 my wife. She'll watch any kind of yeah. crime. Anything. Yeah. Well, I teach I nor on a normal year I would teach forensics. And so I'm like a true crime junkie. And every day on my way to work and way home, I'm listening to true crime podcasts. But again, like if I was going off of a like a forensic show, I couldn't watch that nonstop for every yeah. day of my life because it'd be depressing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just the CSIs or the um, Law and Order. You know, there's some great. I mean, there's a million seasons. Like you could just watch Law and Order, and it would be like it'd be great. Right. But you're right. I think that it, yeah. I think it might put you in a dark place after a year of only watching that. You'd 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 think that the world was up to no good. Um, <laughs> so the the news is bad enough. But uh, yeah, The Simpsons. You'd be uh, blissfully ignorant watching that for a year. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. So, uh, well, as I mentioned, um, uh, UDL uh, is going to be our fo- our focus this year, and um, and this is something that has like you can talk about like ideas that start to like bubble up. Like this is what I think of uh, when I think of UDL. I feel like a UDL is this concept that has been sort of bubbling up. I, I've heard a little bit. I actually think I went to a talk about UDL on a professional development day like five years ago or something. It was like the first time I ever heard it. And it was like, our we have like professional development days where like you can go and you can pop mm-hmm. into different rooms and you can see different things. And I watched like a 45 minute talk about UDL like five years ago or something like that, or the concepts of it. And it was introduced as part of the, the idea. And then I didn't hear anything for a couple of years. And then right before the pandemic on a, one of our professional days, again, I went to like a 45 minute, one hour session Again, introducing the concept. Um, and then the world went on fire for uh, a bunch of years and like <laughs> didn't hear anything really. It was not put forward of like, when you're <laughs> on Zoom, make sure that you're thinking about UDL principles. That Nobody talked about UDL principles in the last 18 months um, in there. But my district has definitely been bringing it up. Um, it was brought up in some of the opening day components and definitely something in there. And we have some... Uh, like late, so you have some early release days where we're going to get UDL training um, this year as part of our district initiative. It's one of our district initiatives that's going to come up. Um, and as I said, I've heard a little bit about this, but it was making me wonder, like, is this something that my district is doing on its own? Is this something that is bubbling up for other people? But I thought it would be good to, to talk about this because I feel like, uh, like many other things, it's something that just sort of glances around me and I don't really have much of a grasp of what it means as a concept or I, I feel like I have a very poor grasp of what the, these letters mean. And I thought it'd be worth to uh, drag you guys into this conversation. <laughs> um, uh, and I, by the way, knowing this, knowing these were, you two were the ones in here, um, I suspected that uh, Amy would have a much more solid understanding of this than I do and that Mark would not. Uh, that, so the, 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 just as, a, just as a, a, for, a forerunner, just knowing your background and where we teach and, and the types of classrooms we're in there. So now that I've set that up, uh, have you had any discussions about UDL in your school or part of your own personal development, um, professional development as you go? Where are you on your journey? And so we'll start with you, Mark. UDL, where are you? Well, uh, I got I got to be honest, um, and, until you asked this question of us, you know, previous to uh, our conversation here, um, nothing i the blank slate but it was uh um you know you included some links and so it was a good uh two three hour journey down the rabbit hole into things like hey huh you know so there was a there was a lot of that and it's it's it now is a it's a bookmark in my learning (laughs) folder um that uh i'm gonna i'm gonna find some time and continue to dig around on it. There are some things that there's, you know, you run into things that are new and, and sometimes things are challenging and sometimes things resonate. And I think this was a combination mm. of both uh, for me. And again, uh, a, a glancing, a glancing blow, just, uh, just a quick dip into uh, digging around on that website. So I will speak with absolutely no authority. You're <laughs> correct, Aaron. Well, I, I, I no, no shame in this. This is a good open learning space uh, for me. And as I said, uh, 
I cheated when I wrote my questions. I got to do that two or three hour reading before I posted the questions. So, uh, so, so I, I was, uh, as we often say, like you, you read the chapter ahead of your class, like that first year, you know, like you're reading the chapter right. the night before you sure. teach it. Uh, sure. that, that is, I think very much where I am, uh, relative to you in this conversation. Um, so, okay. so Amy, how about you? Is this something that's, uh, you know, either part of your personal journey or something that your district has been bringing up? So we are most focused within our district professional development on technology and uh, like diversity mm -hmm. training. So we haven't done anything with it in my school at all. But um, I, I teach co-taught biology. And for many, many years, it was just an epic struggle. It was very difficult to teach because there's such a diverse group of learners. And so it's always trying to find the balance between helping the kids who need a lot of assistance with those that need a push towards more rigor and more um, you know, different experiences and who need more content. And so just trying to find a balance was, was so hard. So, um, you know, I'm always on Twitter. I love teacher Twitter and it, it was, I don't know, someone posted something about it. And like Mark was saying, I got sucked into a rabbit <laughs> hole. And um, so this came about around the same time that I was um, introduced to the Illinois <clears throat> And so the two of those things really inspired me a ton, to be honest, because I started to see my kids in a different light. It wasn't always about like, how can I make things easier for this group and harder for this group? It was how can I make things more engaging? How can I motivate this group more? What interests this group? How can they self-reflect? How can they take responsibility? How can they be empowered in their learning? And so I think that was the most important thing for me with UDL is just using it as a tool to make sure that I'm, I'm meeting the needs of all my learners. And I love the concept of focusing on the strengths instead of deficiencies. Oftentimes those kids with special needs, they're going to focus so much on what they can't do. And honestly, a lot of times their parents will focus very much on what they cannot do. My daughter cannot do math. So I don't know what you're going to do with those formulas on the test. She's going to fail your task because she cannot do math instead of saying, you know, what, what, what other way can she explain this? Can she do a model on, on Flipgrid and explain it that way? Can she come up with a different way of explaining her understanding? You know, and I feel like UDL gives us a lot of different ways in which we can differentiate to our kids and really focus on their strengths. Yeah. Yeah. And I hear, I hear a lot of the, the conversation. It sounds like your district and my district are actually not that far apart, which makes me think next year UDL will be something that bubbles up for you <laughs> just because I think uh, we have a lot of, a lot of similarities. Um, but I, I, I think back to sort of in the journey of, of myself as a teacher. And I remember early in my career, there was a lot of, there was a lot of focus in professional development of how to sort of best transmit information to kids. Like it was all about what are the ways that you could 
give information to kids. And it was all about what is the teacher doing mm -hmm. to provide like to, to, to fill the vessel, <laughs> you know, even though they would say, we don't believe in that. That's very much what it was. All the instructional tips and tricks are about what the teacher does. And as I read through UDL, it's how do you figure out the path of access from the learner? Like, what is it the way that the, how is this learner going to access this material? How are they going to become engaged with this material? How are they going to think about, how are they going to be able to think about and process and access this material? And so it's a very, a learner centric model of instruction and a learner centric model of, um, curriculum design. I mean, that's the idea, universal design for learning. It's, it's how do you design, mm -hmm. You know, whether you want to think about it in lessons or if you want to just think about it in learning spaces or, uh, you know, curriculum in any way, how do you ex make it in such a way that that a student is going to find a path to to access that learning, be able to interact with that learning and then be able to express what they've learned about that. And um and for me, it's a it's a flip. It is the antithesis of being the teacher centered classes. It is a very student centered classroom model. And we throw that language around a lot. I know that I've always thrown around in my career. And even though I don't know that I always uh, <laughs> I always really hit it, uh, I think that the language that's in this document, and as, as you said, Mark, I. The, the I struggled with a lot of the language like you read it and you're like, all right, what is this buzzword? mean? Is it a buzzword or it has a deeper meaning? What is the mm -hmm. meaning of this term in this context? And then that's the, that's the rabbit hole. That's the part where you're like unpacking it for yourself. And what does this look like in your classroom? And uh, some of the, some of the language was, was easier for me to decode than others. And others of them, like I read the bullet point and I was like, this, this feels very jargony because I'm not, I'm not very well versed in this yet. Um, but again, by the end of this year, hopefully I have a, a better sense of it because we're we're starting this journey as a district um, and we'll, we'll see how that comes out. Uh, so let's dive into some of that jargon. Uh, so uh, so one of the things, things and I will have links uh, in the show notes for folks if they want to access some of these things um, that UDL is often organized. Um, and I went to several different websites. I just picked a particular one. Uh, that I've used for my show notes. But I kept on seeing the same three principles coming up over and over again, uh, engagement, representation, and action and expression. Um, and there's a lot of there. So let's start with the engagement uh, component about this. And um, and so I'm just going to ask you guys, are, are there ways uh, that you provide multiple options for engagement with material in your classroom? And what are some of the examples of, of something that you do where you provide students these, these multiple options? And we'll start with you, Amy. Uh, how do you go about providing multiple options? So I do a lot with giving the kids an opportunity to choose how they want to learn something. So it could be something simple like for our warm up today, you can choose to either correct an assessment. You can choose to play one of our ecology board games in the back. You can choose to, you know, work on uh, finishing your model. And I'll give them options what they can do. And and I try and even give them choice. You can work alone. You can pick a partner. You can work in a group because sometimes kids like having that ability. But then um, I had played around a lot in the past with these things called uh, think tech tools, which I totally stole that name mm -hmm. off the internet. 
and it's a tic-tac-toe, but it's essentially a grid, and you have different activities on there, and they have to make a tic-tac-toe by completing three of the activities, and so they get to decide, like, what they want to, how they want to show their learning of a particular goal or objective, and so you can put different, like, visual things or modeling or, you know, gamify, whatever their, their most, you know, their, their most interest interest lies you know they'll choose those those areas and they like having con control over what they're about to do they seem to have more willingness to jump into an activity when they knew that they were the one who chose it and so i like that um, about that particular type of activity they have other ones out there called like menu boards where they have to pick an appetizer, you know, uh, a main dish and a couple desserts or something like that and all different activities. Again, uh, I really do think that kids like having the ability to take responsibility for what they're doing. And I thought, you know, they're gonna choose the things that are easy for them. But in some cases, I did hear kids say like, I'm gonna do this because I need more practice mm. with it. And mm. I really like that. It, it gives them a lot more uh, flexibility in, in showing how how they you know, know the material or, or how they're going to learn the material. And then I also try and I put in a bunch of scaffolds into everything I do. So, for example, we're doing um, calories right now. For, we do the Illinois Storyline uh, Africa unit and there's the lions, right, and they're, they're they're in a group hunting or we have a single lion hunting and they need to, need to show with math which one would be more energy efficient working in groups and taking down a big prey or you know working alone and taking down something smaller some of my kids like I barely had it talk and they already knew what to do like it was just common sense hmm. to them uh, how to do that math how to fill in the chart other kids, I could have talked for two hours and they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have known what to do. So what I did was um, I found like a virtual notebook online where they can put it in present mode. It's like a PowerPoint and they can click through everything and it's interactive. It shows them what that number there, click on it. It tells you exactly how you got it. And I also did videos showing myself going through the work. So I came up with all these different like tutorials or scaffolds for the kids who needed it. And they have to take the responsibility to say, hey, I'm not mm -hmm. good with this. I need to take some time to figure it out. So those are just a few ways. Like I try to give them some choice or options to help them stay engaged in my class. Wow. Hmm. wow. That's a really some of those. There's yeah, a there's, a, there's a lot in there. And, um, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's one of those things where, like, you can feel, uh, I'm going to just only speak for myself, like, I smugly think, oh, I give my kids so much choice. Uh, and then Amy talked and I was like, oh, I give my kids no choice <laughs> on what they get to do. Like, uh, that was a, yeah. that was the case. Uh, but again, yeah. we do work with different populations. Right. And um, I, I, like, I actually recovered a little bit and I have like, yeah. all right, that's not true. I'm not, I sh don't beat yourself up. Don't beat yourself up. It's not, it's not all about comparison. Um, but no, I'm very impressed. I, I, I think I'm going to come back and, and think about, um, I love the idea of like, like warm up or like do now choice, which is something that like has never really dawned on me. Like it's uh, honestly, it's so hard for me to come up with like 
a good do now. The idea that I would come up with like four good <laughs> do nows <laughs> or three good do nows. Um, uh, but I, but you don't have to start with four. You don't have to start with three, but starting with two, you could do this or you could do that, um, yeah. is, is a good, yeah. a good entry yeah. place. And, um, and something that's a manageable goal, um, if you want to start playing around with choice. So if you, if you do a good do now, and then you could come up with a, two options and maybe options that access different, you know, uh, different strengths, as you mentioned earlier, and then maybe come up with a third one that's different, that you can, you know, crawl, crawling might be where I go on that. So, um, <laughs> so, all right. Now that I've confessed my weakness, uh, Mark, how about you? How do you find, how do you find you oh. go with, uh, <clears throat> providing yeah, choice? Right. Well, well, when she was talking about menu choices, I kind of went to where you went. I'm like, well, if it's like a breakfast menu, you can order anything you want as long as it's <laughs> eggs. <Right? laughs> That's the only thing you get. Eggs. It's some kind of eggs. No. So, uh, the, one of the, this the business of engagement um one of the things that uh, i don't think i've done a very good job of through most of my career has been like trusting my students that they will come up with uh questions that they can follow to appropriate ends and it was it's been in the last decade or so that so i ran across the book um from a, I think I got it from a friend, Amanda Meyer, who now teaches yeah, in Seoul, in Korea. <laughs> uh, Korea. Yeah, she's in Korea. Uh, she's got a new camera. If you don't follow her on Instagram, she takes amazing pictures. <laughs> anyway, uh, the the book called Make Just One Change by uh, Dan Rothstein and uh, Luz uh, Santana. Um, and it's all about um, getting students to ask really good questions um, and trusting that those questions are going to lead to um, really appropriate things for your classroom. And so I started using this probably five, six years ago uh, in my classroom to really, uh, and so the, the technique called question focus technique in a nutshell, you provide students with some type of prompt, could be an artifact. So if you're talking about matter and energy flow, you have a you have a tree branch, like where did the mass of this tree come from, right? Where did the matter of this tree come from? Or, or maybe it's a, a phrase. So like we're talking about cells and the phrase is the inside of the cell. And so students generate questions. And the first time I did it, I was kind of, I was skeptical at how it was going to turn out. Yeah, there were some really weak questions, but as students got more practiced, all of a sudden, I, I'm, I'm recognizing these. These are the essential questions in my biology room. They are the questions that I would be asking students to answer anyway. And it's not coming from me. It's coming from them. And so typically, we'll take those questions, refine them, turn questions into open-ended questions, get rid of statements. And then if they put those on to either... You know, electronically, we've done this on like uh, um, Jamboard or uh, Google Slides, uh, kind of post-it note or actual physical post-it notes, uh, turn it into a driving question board um, that really guides the, the unit, uh, whatever it happens to be, whether it's genetics or cell energetics or matter and energy flow, 
um, that that can become the content. But then um, I've been teaching for a long time. This is my 37th year. And so I have I, I've got a lot of I've got a lot of experiments in my pocket that students ask questions about whatever um, that we can pull those out. And they, most of them are not high tech. I need experiments. It's just a matter of wrangling those in there. And so students, you know, getting some some choice in the lab work um, that goes on and it, it drives some of my colleagues. It bothers them because not everybody's doing the same lab. You know, if you come into my class, you, there might be four or five experiments going on at the same time and different students doing different things. And they're like, how do you do that? I'm like, well, it's their curiosity. I'm trying to help them stay engaged to trying to find answers to their questions. And so that's, I guess that's, you know, a long winded answer. That's kind of how I try to keep students engaged with, uh, with their own curiosities. Yeah. And I have, um, a lot of the same, same techniques that I use. Um, Damon, were you going to add something? Oh, no, I was going to say, I do the same thing with the driving yeah. question boards. And I agree 100%. It really shows what the kids are interested in, too. It helps drive the unit. So I agree 100%. It's a great way to engage them. Yeah, and I know that Jason and the, the, the Illinois group uses the driving question board quite a bit um, as part of some of their phenomenon um, kickoff and, and do that. And it, it, it literally, it's funny, as I said, you know, I'm about to have my students in just a, and, you know, uh, work with some um, mini algae and brine shrimp uh, terraria that I, I'm putting, putting together. Um, I was so I was putting those together yesterday, um, and uh, and I was uh, literally putting together a jam board. And on one of the jam boards, it is uh, what do you notice uh, with sticky note instructions, and uh, the next one is what do you wonder. Um, and I am going to. Yeah. And I'm going to use wonder? that to then lead us into a yeah. larger model and then leads that into a driving question board. Like, like that is, we're going to spend three days on that to kick yeah. off matter and energy um, to really drive that. But you're right. Like using something and their questions, but um, there is a, it's funny. Like, I, you know, we talk to our students about what we want our students to do and like, we want our students to take risks and we want our students to struggle and we want our students to fail. But at the same time, teachers want the environment to be completely controlled and completely safe and know where all the answers are. Right. So, so if you're, so to do this thing, and I know exactly what you're talking about. Cause I, my, my labs, like when I think of choice as I don't have, I don't have what Amy has with my do nows or a lot of those other things, but, um, like I give my students a lot of flexibility on like which homework type they choose. It's like, these are the learning objectives. Here's a couple of different ways to access the material. Um, and here are a few different ways of, of showing that you understand this. Um, I do think that it could be better. Um, it's an area where I feel like I've stagnated a little bit and would like to grow a little bit more on demonstrating knowledge, but I give a few different access points to the material videos versus textbook versus mm -hmm. other things. Mm -hmm. And then with my AP students, um, similarly, I give them a few different ways of practice. And then I say, I want you to do these larger things, but you can choose which ones you're going to do uh, that are there. But on lab, yeah, my lab is very much what you say. I give them a lot of flexibility on where they want to take things um, and how to go with that. Um, and also a little bit of safety of working in some small groups. So um, 
Yeah, I think having interest drive is something that I've gotten much, much better on. But it is something that I do better with my classes that are more open-ended. So like, for example, my AP bio students, um, I'm really comfortable with my AP students just being like, yep, I don't know where we're going. Go right ahead and do that. But it's taken me longer. And I, I almost feel like with my my younger students, I have an obligation to, uh, you know, uh, maybe it's that I don't have an obligation, but it's been harder for me to get rid of the covering the curriculum like process. Like it's been harder to deconstruct the curriculum to create the space to do those types of activities. Uh, because it's not something philosophically I mm-hmm. feel strongly about like mm-hmm. that we have to do ac- activities x y and z but you if you want to have students write questions and then struggle with questions and reframe those questions you got to come up with like this like takes three days to do that like so if you were going to do these five activities in this unit and you know you want to create space because you're gonna have to throw some of those other activities out and i've i think i personally have struggled right. in curriculum right. design giving up activities i like to create the space for those type of choice things to go. And um, hopefully I'm hopeful that now that I've gotten more, like I'm actually going to have class students in class five days a week this year, that suddenly we're going to have all these extra days that we didn't have last year. And, and that's what I'm going to be able to fill in that space on. Um, You know, I, I, I didn't go back to my 2019 curriculum. Like I've gone to rebuilding curriculum with that open space in there. So um, I'm hopeful about that. All right. Well, let's, let's shift. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I hope that that's, uh, I go ahead. No, 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 it's okay. I was just going to say, I hope that, uh, it, <clears throat> you know, the, my general biology class is far different from the AP capstone classes that I teach because the AP and capstone classes, I'm the only person that teaches those. And so, I'm by myself, whereas my general bio students, there are three of us and we're going to, you know, probably at the semester, we're going to mix, uh, mix up classes. Well, for sure I am. I'm going to wind up with, you know, probably half new students and half my original ones. And, and so you, you know, where you'd like to take those bird walks, (laughs) you know, you'd like to take those bird walks when all of a sudden there's the, this, you watch students go, huh? And you and you're like, sorry, we got to move on, which is it makes me nauseated to think about. But that's the reality sometimes um, when you're in that system. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we have six biology teachers. And so we're always stuck between trying to be very student centered and trying to develop common grading practices, common assessments, because, you know, like district initiative is to try and be more on the same page with our assessments and our grading but then my students interests might be pushing me a different direction mm-hmm. than another teacher's you know students interests and even as teachers like I love forensics I love like animal science and one of our other teachers is huge into botany she loves mm-hmm. botany with a passion I'd rather I mean no offense but I'm just not a botany person I the, the, <laughs> plants are not my favorite thing. So, you know, I would hate to take away her passion and say, I don't want to do any plant labs. 
and I'm sure she would feel the same way about you know what I'm passionate about. So I think it's really hard to push towards student-centered learning and really allowing them to to, to you know to inquire and and wonder and ask questions when we also have outside of our class these pressures of getting things done by a certain time, covering certain content, doing certain labs, you know, uh, and then you know, final exams, if you have common final exams, just making sure you get ready. So that's always the struggle. Yeah, yeah. we have eight biology teachers at my school, five of five honors eight. biology teachers. Um, and so because we are doing that, we're actually trying an experiment this year. And the five honors bio teachers, um, one of them was fully remote last year. It was in our fully remote academy. And then I was in there and three of our other ones didn't teach honors at all last year. So there and have not taught honors in mm -hmm. our school in one of them is new to the school and the other two haven't neither have taught in honors, the honors curriculum in more than a decade. So like it's it's been mm -hmm. an interesting thing. So we've actually come up and we have a, a rotating drop schedule. So like our schedule, like it's not, we can't say that on this day we're all doing X because on this day, some of us don't have classes and some of us didn't have class yesterday. And some of us didn't like mm. some of my classes won't be meeting today and some of them will like, it's just a, it's a very dynamic schedule. And with all of those people, um, we've actually, we're attempting something new this year, uh, which is really diversifying, like agreeing on the learning objectives and the grade breakdown and broad strokes of what we're going to do. We're going to agree upon assessments and projects. We're going to agree upon learning objectives. Mm -hmm. We're going to sort of agree upon timetables. And then we're going to sort of in mini pods mm -hmm. come up with how we get from A to B. And, um, and so it'll be interesting to see, but from a sanity standpoint, I can't mm -hmm. see any other way of doing it. None of us have common preps. Like, some of us have really good working relationships right. where we've worked with each right. other for years and have good trust with each other and others have never worked together at all. And then imagine the poor new person who's right. just come into yeah. our building. Which of the four of us do you listen to? <laughs> like, which of the four of us do you part? Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. And so follow? like, so, you know, my, my department head and, yeah. and, and said, sat down and said, I do not expect you to all do this, but can we agree upon these big broad brushes strokes? So I'm hoping sort of what you were saying, Amy, that, that, that yeah. we're going to, yeah we've been very lockstep historically. And like, if you went back 10 years ago when there were three of us who taught honors and we taught all of the honors and you walked in, there would be a couple of things where we would diverge slightly amongst, but what we would do is we would come and we would just fight it out about the best way of doing something. And we would, we'd like argue with each other and great. It was like, it was like, no, 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 this is a better activity. We do this. And, and I actually think the curriculum was better for it because the guy who wanted to teach half the year is the right. guy who wanted to teach oh, half yeah. the year of evolution couldn't go off on his, you know, like cramming the rest of the year down into one thing and then going off on a big stand. And the guy who was, who has the, um, you know, the, 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 uh, he focused on insects. He was like Central American insects. He has his like insects. masters in Central American insects. The whole, he would be bug boy all year long. Like half the year would be about insects and then boy. he'd cram others. And I would have like the whole year would have been microbiology, like, like, you know, micro molecular and micro. And so like we couldn't do that. And so instead what we ended up doing is we ended up building our own individual knowledge base based off each other. We pushed each other a little bit. Now, did we get to the most dynamic curriculum? No, but I think that the 10 years we worked together, all of us grew dramatically. 
And when you wanted to change an idea or bring something in, you had to have a really compelling argument about why to replace something. And so I think there is there's right, some enormous right. professional growth that can right. happen in that that setup. But again, listen to everything I've said about it. The, the growth was that of the yeah. teachers. It wasn't about the growth of the students. And so I, I think that that, again, we're thinking about like, you know, uh, I, I like having Mark here because I don't feel like an old guy here at all. Uh, I'm barely, I'm like a newbie. I'm a newbie in the classroom <laughs> compared to Mark. Uh, <laughs> Mark new. thinks I'm a, Mark, Mark's yeah. like, yeah, you just started there. Um, <laughs> where, whereas my principal last year retired after uh, being in our building for as many years as I've been teaching, uh, which was an interesting, uh, right. I was like, wait a minute, what does that say about me? Um, but the, the point, the point being right. the, that I think that the, the concept of saying that we were student centered is something we've done for a long time, but actually being student centered is something that we're now doing. Um, and so we're going to have to change some of our, our methodologies to get to that point, um, to do that. All right, let's get into this last question I have for us, uh, which is, I think my last question, yeah, uh, my last question I have for us, which is uh, reviewing the UDL guidelines. Um, is And I think this is a perfect example of what I was just talking about, uh, the guidelines for those engagement, representation, action, expression. Um, are there any areas, again, we're, we're not going to fix everything in one step. We're going to take baby steps here. We're going to th- take little steps. Uh, is there any, anything that jumped out at you that is something that you would want to improve and, and maybe even put on your own sort of personal short-term goals about something to improve? Mark, how about you? Yeah, so looking at the, again, my dipping my toe into the into that framework, there were some things that really struck me. Um, it, uh, there's, there's that grid that's on the first, yeah. one of the first pages there. And it's, it, if, if you, you like, you want your learners to be purposeful and mm-hmm. motivated, right? Resourceful and knowledgeable, strategic and goal directed. I mean, those are all things we, you know, it's not about biology. Those are just great transferable skills and, and things that we would want, uh, for all of our students. And again, I've mentioned this, the AP research class that I teach where, you know, I've got 20 students that are highly motivated. They come up with a question and they wrangle with that all year long. And that's, and it's, it's a, it's, they bash their heads against the wall because it's, it's, it's real research with a capital R. And so one of the things that, that I've thought about, um, is I, I need to, I need to bring that into my general biology classroom. My general biology classrooms need more than a two-day lab about yeast beads. You know, they need they need more than that. They they need to have an authentic experience where they work with something long term, um, and and really follow their own question. And I, I think probably my idea and. I've talked with the other two teachers that teach biology with this. Let's let's see if they can identify something from first semester in the units that we do first semester and bring that and and turn that into a long-term experience uh, second semester. So I think that's, I think that's something I'd like to improve the design of my classroom, especially for that second go, second go around uh, second Mm -hmm. semester. Yeah. And it's funny, you just, you, I think you might've just actually unlocked something in my head. Um, <laughs> um, like, believe it or not, like you just said that, because, um, what we've been doing in my <laughs> honors classes is, um, 
we've been doing term projects and slowly doing these different term projects. And um, I've actually been struggling with now coming out of the pandemic and going back and revisiting and improving how to do that in a meaningful way. And you just, you just said something that, that made me realize Mm -hmm. that I think we actually have some of those ideas in place. I just wasn't connecting them, um, uh, connecting the ideas in there and not using my term one project to lead into term two. Well, it's like we do a term one project and then we go into term two and we start this whole new thing, but it didn't have to be. The thoughts of term two absolutely could be started in term one, uh, just in a different environment. So, sure. um, yeah, yeah uh, I'm just going to make this this note on a piece of paper that is going to mean nothing to me tomorrow. So uh, I'll I'll send you a text or something uh, well, <laughs> when I go to print it up. The, 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 way, the, way I, the way I've been thinking about it is, you know, I think back to my uh, experiences in graduate school and, um, depending on which lab you worked in. So maybe you worked with sea urchins, everybody in that lab worked with sea urchins, or maybe you worked with mice, everybody in that lab worked with mice, or maybe it was fish embryos. Right. And so how often do we, we do these one and done kinds of things in our classrooms, where we'll use this phenomena and then we walk away from it when now we've given students the experience, you know, uh, I had a conversation with Amanda Meyer, again, mm-hmm. my pal from soul. I'm like, I should do the whole year using algae and yeast. I should do all of biology just using algae mm-hmm. and yeast. I should do that. Then the students are familiar with it and they're, they're used, they understand how the system works and how to grow them and how to raise them and what kills them or whatever it happens to be. Um, and so that, that's kind of what I'm thinking. So again, that familiarity of what they've used in first semester, hopefully will allow them to come up with a good question to answer second semester. Yeah. That's yeah. So I'll uh, just, to just to unpack it a little bit more. My idea, um, is that we go outside and we do this ecology, uh, project where the students go out in small groups and look at, cause we have a nature trail and some ecosystems in there and they go out and look at that and they, they do, I mean, we really focus in on those NGSS science practices. So it's all about asking questions and then sort of really asking questions and then doing some initial research in there. But in term two, we focus in on sort of model systems where we give them a sort of a model and Mm. questions, the types of questions you can answer using those various models. But I could take the concepts that we're going to explore in those term two models and make them topics in what they look for outside when they go in the ecosystem. So now it becomes the topics Mm. they see in the ecosystem. And now, oh, here are models that you can do experiments in the lab because in the winter, we're not sending them out in the ecosystem. But like for whatever reason, it wasn't something you said and the framing that you said made me realize that uh, these topics, this thing, this, this connective tissue that I'm missing, like, I already have it. I just was, I needed a reverse engineer. I did work it backwards. And also the thing is, is that I'm taking what was a project that we developed in pandemic last year in the spring and replacing a, what was a fairly inequitable project. We used to make kids go out to nature trails around towns, but there's a lack of equity when you do that to kids because not every kid has the time to go out there. And I always had kids who were on sports teams who had like the hardest time. And we, we had these requirements where kids, and I remember a couple of years ago going, going, man, we got to make this fairer in some way. 
And then when we had the pandemic, we're like, yeah, that's fair. We're just not going to let anyone go anywhere. So we did that. But then I, I reinvented the project and just did it on campus, basically a version of it on campus. And I was like, oh, this is the solution. We just do it in the school day during the day. We don't, I mean, it's great for them to go see the nature trails. That's great, but it's not fair. So yeah. let's add yeah. equity. So now, uh, yeah, no, great. As I said, this podcast is for me and me alone. The 200 other people who listen to it, I hope you're getting something <laughs> out of it, but uh, that's great. Yeah. Goal, goal, goal achieved. Goal, you got something out of it. All right. Sorry about that, Amy. I derailed our conversations to fix my own problems. But um, uh, what are you thinking of that you would like to improve design in your class uh, based off of those UDL guidelines? Well, first of all, I love what you guys are saying with the connections and, and just the coherence. I've been working on doing that for the last several years. Just I try and like make my course almost like a story. Like I love Carl Zimmer and I just finished, um, what was it? Uh, she has her mother's laugh, which is about essentially genetics. And he tells the story of genetics and it builds on its entire book. And when you get to the end, you see the big picture. And I love that. And I feel like I want my course to be that way. It's like I'm giving you little bits and pieces. And by the time you get to the end, you see how it's all connected. Right. You know? So I try and come up with some carryover concept from one unit to the next. So that they're right, so those connections. Feeling that, that build. And it's really, really, really important with uh, some of the kids that struggle with science because they need those connections to really understand what it is they're doing. I think for me, though, like my biggest goal is that I still think that I'm really directing most of what's going on in my class. And I want this, the kids to be more empowered to like monitor their own learning and to be like, you know what, I need to improve on this. So I'm going to go ahead and do that. I want to come up with some way to have them like self-reflecting and I don't want it to be a blow off because I try and do like pre-tests or post-tests and things like that. But a lot of times they're just in a race to get done as fast as you can. You know, um, one of the things that I did starting last year is for our practice work, I don't give them any grade. I don't give them any points. It's just written feedback. You don't get a grade till it goes in the grade book. And I started doing that because they would look at the grade. Oh, I got nine out of 10, fine. And they would never look at my comment. And they would keep making that same mistake. And though they got an A on it, they'll still make that same mistake in the future because they never looked at my comment. So I took away the grade and I just put comments. And whether you've got an A or you got an F, you're going to see probably 10 comments on your paper. But those comments are going to be directed toward your personal growth. And it takes time to do, mm -hmm. but it's like, I want them to look at what I'm suggesting and improve for themselves, you know, because every kid in that room is different and their understanding is different. So honestly, that's really what I'm trying to work on more myself is just developing a system where the kids feel empowered to learn the material and to really reflect and to grow you know, without me having to tell them all the time to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like I've got that system. What you just said is very much in my issues when it comes to particularly my honors classes. I feel like for my AP classes, I did, and I, I was thinking this before earlier, I have, 
I went to a portfolio system stealing from Paul Strode um, uh, and his ungrading gradeless system um, quite a bit. And so um, in AP, I have my students maintain a portfolio where they select examples of their work that highlight a science, an AP science practice and one of the learning objectives from our unit. And they put together, here is the learning objective, here's the science practice, here's the example of my work, and then a short paragraph explaining how this is an example. And they could pick anything. And most of the work is literally stuff we did like Mm. in class activities. They might be something that's more like something that they did for homework that I gave them feedback on. It could be a test question. It could be a quiz question. It could like, it literally can be anything. It's totally up to them how they're going to do that. But there's a lot of that, what you're saying, reflection. That is what I'm doing with my AP level students non-AP, I have never been able to figure out, again, how to create the space. And and for those younger kids, how to build in that feedback cycle enough. And again, I think we mentioned we talk, we teach with lots of other teachers. So like it's part of a, a larger cultural shift of finding ways to provide students to get feedback on work without the grade so that the conversation that you end mm-hmm. up having with them is about their work not about their points or not about their grade. And Mm -hmm. the design of the course, I think as long as you have points and grades, you're going to have a hard time breaking out of that conversation. Um, And I think that that's what I've, now that I basically have been running these two separate systems, like all of these conversations we're having about UDL, like believe it or not, and I'm sure that like somebody like Paul Strode would be shocked to hear this um, or, um, uh, you know, uh, um, Johanna Brown, um, uh, would would be shocked to hear this, but like grades get in the way of UDL. <laughs> like, you know, having students focusing on their work and focusing on the feedback and focusing on their own learning, grades are actually can be an impediment or a barrier for some students to access that because uh, they their their goal their goal is the grade, not the learning. And so, right. as Mark, you were mentioning the you know mm-hmm. being goal oriented. Well, if their goal is about a grade, then that will get in the way. So. Sure. So, yeah. All right. Well, again, I, I think that we've done a, a very uh, a nice, I, I, I think this is a good intro uh, to UDL. Um, certainly is not a, uh, a thorough conversation, right. but it's, again, I will have, uh, I have three late, uh, no, not late start there, early releases. We got rid of our late start days because everybody hated them. Um, <laughs> our three early release days of professional development time this year, uh, where my district, my whole school district is going to be looking at UDL and it's going to be school-wide. So uh, I'm curious to see right how on. that that pans on and see how wrong I am about my preconceptions about UDL, uh, <laughs> which is because even though we've had this conversation, I've done this reading, I'm sure I still have uh, misconceptions about what UDL is versus what UDL isn't. And uh, I have quite a bit of learning to go. All right. Uh, so uh, credits for this episode, uh, please subscribe to life of the school on your podcast player of choice. I uh, love to see those subscribe numbers. Love to see those listen numbers. Uh, you can support life of the school by going to Patreon. Uh, dot com slash lots um, and I post early releases of episodes there for my patrons who chip in a buck or two a month. Um, you can also uh, get show notes there as well as on lifeoftheschool.org uh, Music on this every episode is provided by Jake Jenkins and X Magicians uh, and you can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Matthew Tweets or at Life of the School and I will uh, tag Mark and Amy on my Twitter posts when I post these out. All right. Thank you both for joining me. It was great. I I really enjoyed our conversations this morning.
yeah, it was, uh, it was a good rabbit hole to head down for the UDL stuff. And I'm going to dig awesome. around some more. Sure. It was All great right. All right, everybody. Thanks yeah. for joining us. And we'll talk to you soon.